This episode is brought to you by WeatherGuard Lightning Tech. At WeatherGuard, we make wind turbine lightning protection easy. If you're a wind farm operator, stop settling for damaged turbine blades and constant downtime. Get your uptime back with our strike tape lightning protection system. Learn more in today's show notes or visit weatherguardwind.com slash strike tape. Welcome back. I'm Alan Hall. I'm Dan Blewett, and this is the Uptime Podcast, where we talk about wind energy, engineering, lightning protection, and ways to keep your wind turbines running. All right, welcome back. This is the Uptime Podcast. This is episode 19. I'm your co-host, Dan Blewett. And in today's episode, we're going to cover a bunch of uh, different news-related topics uh, in wind energy. So first, New York has released some recent solicitation for two and a half gigawatts of uh, wind power um, to be located somewhere offshore, which is pretty exciting. Um, we're going to talk about a little bit about ways or people are actually still getting struck by lightning, which is scary to think about. And yeah. um, self-driving cars, all sorts of stuff. Alan, you can't laugh yet. I haven't introduced you. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, the UK has cleared a path for some giant batteries to soar some of this solar energy and wind power energy which is also something that's, uh, I mean, the battery potential in the sector is pretty exciting for the future. I mean, we don't think about homes being able to be powered by batteries and businesses, but that might be reality pretty soon. Um, we'll talk a little bit about lightning strikes and how just incredible, how incredible the number of daily lightning strikes there are all throughout the world. I mean, 8 million a day, essentially. And then lastly, we're going to hear some of Alan's takes, uh, takeaways from the Dallas um, virtual wind uh, seminar, the wind operations from this past week. So, Alan, heard you over there. How are, how are you yeah. today? Yeah, lightning strikes to people are really serious and you always cringe when you hear that yeah. because there's so many ways to avoid them today. And in some parts of the world, it's a little harder than others, but uh, you still read about it. It's a very common event. It's not zero and it's not thousands, but it's somewhere in between. And yeah gotten better over time but i did did uh attend a number of the wind operations dallas uh virtual conference that reuters events uh had going this past week and that was really interesting uh i got a lot of uh, new insight into the industry in particular the, um, the the monitoring that happens and all the technology that's evolved around it and performance and how the performance of the turbines is uh, monitored and how how it's interpreted and how they try to maximize the the full power basically full power of generators it, it was it was interesting yeah so wind operations dallas is a, a yearly conference this year they went virtual obviously um so they claim to have about 2500 virtual attendees which is pretty good and it's the mainly for asset owners and operator uh, and operators and looking for just insights into when O&M. So um, any particular takeaways, any topics that really grabbed your attention? It's actually the last uh, presentation, though there were a lot of good presentations. Uh, and I've, I've watched some on drones. I've watched uh, uh, ones, one with essentially technicians talking about the different things that they go through and how difficult that is and, and all the remote areas of the world they have to go work in and how difficult difficult it is to communicate to the outside world what's happening which is totally true 
and then the, the, the last one was regarding the efficiency of wind turbines. And you and I had talked about this previously, but the, 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 one of the authors of the paper uh, was talking about the decrease in efficiency of wind turbines over time in the United States. Uh, and comparing that a little bit to the efficiency of wind turbines in different places in Europe. It essentially goes like this, roughly, and I'm going to speak in rough, rough terms here, uh, that the efficiency of the wind turbine goes down about 1% per year. And newer wind turbines, maybe a little bit less, uh, but that the wind turbines are using larger and larger blades, even though the towers haven't gone up. So the ability for the wind turbines to generate power at low winds is going up substantially. So they get to the max rated power sooner and they stay at max rated power. But in order to do that, the tip speeds have to go up. And when the tip speeds go up, they're having other issues. Uh, and the size of the blade goes up, there's just more load that they have to deal with because the weight of the blades goes up. Uh, but the 1% the decrease per year happens every year until they get to t the 10th year. And in the United States, the production tax credits drop off. And what you see is a, a much more uh, steeper uh, increase in the inefficiency. So you, there's like another, like almost like a 2% drop at year 10, 11, and uh, 12 is somewhere in there. Like uh, the operators decide they're not going to, because they're not getting the tax credit, are not gonna, don't have the money to maintain the turbines. And so they essentially reduce the amount of turbine maintenance, which in increases the inefficiency. And in other countries, that's not the case. The inefficiency kind of takes that gradual turn down. I just thought that was interesting because if we're really serious about this industry long term, first off, the roughly 1% decrease per year is not good. So at the end of roughly 20 years, there's, the efficiency is like 85%. Like so it's not exactly 1% a year, but roughly. Mm -hmm. So you're at, you've lost 15% of the efficiency of the turbine. That's a big loss. And at some point you have to say, well, is it worth running this thing anymore? Maybe not. Or, or what What things can we do to keep them running more efficiently? That's, I think, is the, is the bigger issue. It seems like the the leading edge erosion and blade efficiency in the air is a, is a big issue. And it doesn't seem like there's many structural issues. Lightning is obviously one of them because it's just it's going to screw up your aerodynamics. If you have a lightning damage to the surface of the blade, it's going to screw up the aerodynamics, it's going to make the blade inefficient again. Uh, so you, you're going to see a lot more, based on those numbers, it makes a lot of sense then for what we're seeing is a, a lot of emphasis on... Uh, fixing the leading edge erosion. And when we talked to Danny Ellis at Sky Specs, he was saying that pretty much every blade in the world has some sort of leading edge erosion. And that's a, it's a big maintenance task. Uh, but that's going to need to get fixed if we're going to maintain the efficiency. Obviously, getting the lightning protection right is going to in increase the efficiency. And there, it, just, it, it just seems like as an industry, now that we have that data, we need to act upon it and make the wind turbine efficiency uh, stabilize. At some point, you'd think it would stabilize, but it doesn't. It's kind of like buying a car. You know, it gets a little more efficient because the bearings wear down and that kind of thing. But you can, on a car, you would try to improve that, and especially on an electric vehicle. You would try to not have those decreases. When you lose, if you lose fifteen percent efficiency uh, in the sort of the mechanics of a of an automobile, I think you'd be concerned about it. Uh, but for uh, some reason, well, I heard they lose uh, a one percent of fuel efficiency per year for cars. And that's one of the arguments, you know, there's for arguments for or against owning versus leasing a car. And one of the arguments 
against ownership is that you lose one percent a year in fuel efficiency every year that you is own that, it. Is that due to uh, de- degradation in the in the motor, or is it just wheel bearings? Because a I'm lot not of exactly sure. A lot of, yeah. Okay, because a lot of, a lot of that in the car is is uh, rolling resistance has a lot to do with mm-hmm. um, inefficiency. So buying cheaper tires probably increases your, your rolling resistance, and obviously the transmissions aren't as efficient. But un- unlike an electric car on a, on a gas powered car, you probably wouldn't notice it all that much. Uh, an electric vehicle you'll notice a little bit more. It just seems like we're at a point now where you know we're roughly 120 plus years into sort of the mechanized age, 140 years into the mechanized age, we would have these things sort of figured out by now. <laughs> and we don't. No. We totally don't. So it's just frustrating to see those numbers thrown up like, dang it, are we not making things better? What are we doing? And are, 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 we, putting the, are we putting the effort in the right places? Because I think as an industry, we've got to do better on the on the back end Every, i think everybody will admit that we got to do better on the back end and the last last 10 years we need to be more efficient and keep the efficiency up of the turbines and so vortex generators leading edge protection lightning protection improvements are going to be the way of the future that you already see some of the companies making a good bit of effort in those areas and that's going to not that is not going to slow down and the drone inspections are going to go way way up just because of it well does the force so we talked about one of the things we chatted about this week was lightning being deemed a force majeure as mm-hmm. far as uh, not really being covered by insurance and helping with repairs for that. Is this something that needs to change? Is this something that's maybe causing that 1% per year? Are there other factors that are maybe not considered essential as far as the service, you know, O&M contracts go? Well, I, I think when you start to put likely events into the acts of nature pile it what it does when the engineering side is like well then i don't have to do all that much if something were to happen then it's just out of my control mm-hmm. what's well, not out of your control again I go, I go back to we've been in the 140 plus years of the mechanized age and we've been well ben franklin and the lightning rod is 1750s so that's a long time ago. Yeah. Can we not figure some of this stuff out and and uh, make it, just make it more efficient? For whatever reason, we would never allow that to happen on an airplane. Uh, well, because it's full of two hundred people plus people, two hundred, eight hundred people that would be affected by you know some sort of catastrophic lightning strike. But on a wind turbine, it's like, huh, you know, we can't we can't uh, predict it's going to happen, or we have no control over it, or. We're just wiping our hands of it, which is the wrong approach. If, if the industry wants to be here long term and make that sort of impact, then this lightning can't be a force majeure anymore. We need to be designing against it and figure out what's going on out in the field and fix it. Yeah, that's the way to move forward. Well, knowing this much about lightning, there's no way you could say that that falls under that extraordinary event or, un- no. or unforeseen. Like it's clearly foreseen. Like what else is it going to strike? Yeah. I mean, these things are on top of mountains and open fields. Right. Of course, it's going to strike. When you, that. Right. Right. If you make yourself the tallest object within a quarter mile or a mile, yeah, you're going to be it. So it's 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 like when they put the Empire State Building up back in the 1920s, whenever that was, and it started to take all these lightning strikes. It was uh, an object of uh, of uh, great scientific uh, use because one they. I guess he didn't really think that was going to happen all that much, but actually GE started instrument 
the Empire State Building and learned a ton about lightning strikes and then implemented that into all the power utilities across the United States and the world, for that matter, and how to protect all the other things that are going on in the world because of the data they took from the Empire State Building. Well, we have instrumented thousands of wind turbines at this point easily. What are we doing with that data and what are we learning from that data? And are we making the next generation wind turbines better? If we don't have some sort of like uh, requirement that says lightning is not a force majeure anymore, that you need to design against it and lightning strikes are either gonna be paid for on insurance or the OEM manufacturer is gonna be responsible to take care of those things, then we're never gonna resolve this. You know, And the thing, the thing about insurance is when you have an insurance industry, that's managing the finances of this, they have a great deal of impact on what pieces get corrected over time. And if the insurance company is paying out a lot of lightning strike damage claims, uh, there's gonna be a lot of pressure on the OEMs to make sure this, this lightning thing is taken care of. That's what'll happen. All right, so let's talk a little bit about some, some news. Um, New York issued a second offshore wind solicitation, and this is for up to two and a half gigawatts of offshore capacity. And it looks like they're going to announce uh, winners of those bids later in 2020. And a lot of people were worried that this was just going to get pushed back and pushed back because of coronavirus. But it sounds like they kind of said, no, let's get this done. This will add good jobs. And, um, you know, they've the state's offering 200 million in funding to do this. And they've kind of, you know, trying to figure out which port is going to make the most sense to to <laughs> get this done in. So what do you think about this uh, proposal out of New York? Well, I believe it when I see it. Uh, there's been all kinds of, in Massachusetts, there's been big struggles with putting wind turbines offshore just because of the value of the properties uh, that are in next to the ocean there. I think the same thing exists in New York, quite mm-hmm. honestly. Are they going to be able to do that? Maybe. Uh, we just got to get over the stigma that uh, wind turbines are ugly, which is what the stigma is. That wind turbines are ugly. I mean, you'll hear people straight up say it. We don't like them. We don't like. It, it, it is, if, if they're anywhere in line of sight, um, they're offhandedly rejected, and I, I'm not sure that's fair. It's not fair in New York. In the New York City area, they're trying to shut down one of the nuclear power plants. I think the governor is is forcing the closure of it. So they they got to <laughs> you got to replace that energy capability was something yeah uh wind wind is one of the options i'm not sure it's the best option in terms of by itself it's going to be in combination with something else but uh i'm i'm based on previous history it's not going to go all that well and it's gonna be a lot of lawsuits to stop it and if you can sue to delay it people will do it and I just wonder what how much uh, gumption the state of New York has. When those lawsuits come up, are they going to deal with them? Are they going to try to negotiate out of them? Or are they going to just kick the can down the road and say, well, we can't do anything about it? And Or we got a very powerful senator like we had in Massachusetts, Ted Kennedy, that was totally against the wind turbines from happening because he had a big uh, campus on the ocean and he didn't want to see them. So he's blocked all those from happening. I can totally imagine that happening in New York State, too. But... We'll see how it plays out. Yeah. Well, at least they're pushing for it. I know people are looking for ways to get it. It's, it's funny that this ties in with one of the relatively tone deaf things the, the Trump administration 
and Ivanka Trump specifically had put out recently this whole like find your new job, right? Find something new. They have this new website mm. and they just list a bunch of jobs that you can't just go out and just start doing. Like wind turbine technician was one they listed. It's like great job, but like takes a lot of qualifications to do something like that. And there was aerospace engineering technician was one of them. Um, mm -hmm. I think they're trying to give people ways to get uh, excited about, you know, new careers, but I think they've done it in a kind of bizarre, bizarre way that seems like out of touch with reality, but it's well, a, a good lot of thing. jobs in the United States that don't require any college training. Uh, and I think there's a huge void there right now. I know in the aircraft industry, there's a lot of, uh, job and even in the wind industry we know there's a lot of jobs particularly with welders or technicians that are just gone filled because there's no one to take those jobs because we have said that college is the only way to have a have a future or to to make a living that's totally not true mm -hmm. uh so i and with the expense of college and all the college debt and that's a big complaint about all the college debt well you want to avoid all the college debt and still make good money put your hands to work I, it's not a bad way to go about it. And if there's going to be all these wind turbine jobs, and they are technical, they do take some training, but it's not like four years of school and mm -hmm. $200,000 worth of debt. Awesome. Go do it. Go do it because you, you that's a skill you're going to carry with you the rest of your life. If you know how to do electrical work, if you know how to weld and you know how to use a lathe and to make parts and to do all the things that, that or fix composites for that matter, if you know how to do those things, those skills are totally transferable to other industries and it makes you very, it, it creates that skill stack that uh, your competition doesn't have. And you got those, those set of skills that you know, are transferable from job to job to job, you will always have work. So it's not, it's not a bad approach. I, I it just you know I, I I think everybody's just got to get their head wrapped around that maybe college isn't the answer for everybody. In fact, a lot of people that I know that don't have college degrees are doing just fine mm -hmm. uh, in the industry that they chose. So let's jump to lightning in general. So July is apparently the least safe month in the U.S. with yeah, a, yes. a fatality every three days, and there have been some mm -hmm. crazy lightning storms here in D.C. the last couple of days. You know, Here I, too. I've watched the the radar roll in, and there's huge splotches of red, which is you know like the highest on the on the radar, and just mm -hmm. very intense lightning storms. But last night, early yeah. in the week, so what what's different about July, and what do people need to do to protect themselves from this heat? <laughs> the amount of energy in the storms, which is related to how hot it is outside, and that you're getting these storms built up over time, and and then the storms are moving from west to east and building up energy as they come along. So by the time they start to dump all that energy and dump all that rain, there's uh, at the higher as they get taller and taller inside the storm itself, the water's getting shoved up to the upper atmosphere, turning into ice and and then falling back down. And there's friction involved, and that's what generates all the charge for lightning strikes. Here, here we had um, a number of strikes this past week that were within a half mile of our house mm -hmm. easily. It just flash boom instantaneous <laughs> uh, of light up. And it's serious stuff. And you, you want to be inside when that's going on. And you you need to take it seriously. Obviously, at this time of year, a lot of, there's a lot of youth sports going on. And that's a, a big issue. You see soccer uh, players or football players injured all the time around the world as a, a light pole or something near them gets struck. And the, the, the turf that they're walking on is energized. And it, it'll knock 
people down. It, it's serious stuff. So you don't have to get struck directly. The, the current running through the earth is, is enough that there's this voltage between your two feet. And it's enough. And that's why people get like knocked out of their shoes. There's voltage between their two feet. And um, it, it is no joke. In fact, I saw this week where the recommendation for that uh, to, to squat and put your feet together, which has been the recommendation for a long, long time. Uh, if you if you're, you're in the middle of a field and you, you, there's no place to go, put your feet together, squat down and basically decrease the amount of voltage that's going to happen across your body. That's essentially what that does. Now they're saying like people are using it as a first line of defense, like getting in the car or getting to shelter is not a first line of defense. People are willing to just sit down and squat down and wait it out and they're getting hurt. Not seriously all the time, but it's still a, a sort of a fool's errand to think that's the right way to go. You definitely want to get inside. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, are cars providing more safety or are they not? I mean, they have rubber tires, but is a car a oh, better it, place? Yeah. It is because uh, the bodies are metal. So the, the lighting energy is running mostly through the metal frame, not through you. And yeah, there are metal, there are rubber tires. But if you think about it this way, lightning, by the time it gets to the car, has already traveled a couple of miles. To go across your rubber tires, which may be six inches, <laughs> is nothing. Yeah. Gotcha. So one of the last things to touch on, um, the UK is kind of a, a go ahead now with a hundred giant batteries to store energy from both uh, solar power and wind power. What, what's the main goal here is that we can store excess from when turbines are producing yes. more than we need. doesn't have to go back to yeah. the grid. Is that the main goal here? Right. So if you're making power off off hours, you can provide them on hour. So when your peak demand hits, all the energy you stored up over the evening time can be used in the daytime to run air conditioners and lights and all the other things, washing machines, everything else that we're running. So it's a way of of more efficiently using the energy all the time and storing all kinds of generated electricity from uh, gas-fired generators to wind turbines or solar. Well, solar is not doing a lot at nighttime, but mostly wind and gas-fired things. You can store that energy, keep the uh, plants working at their peak efficiency, and then draw that energy out as you need it. And I I thought Elon Musk yesterday or the day before made a comment like, uh, because of the Tesla stock on the automotive side came out and he had a pretty good quarter. But his comment was the batteries and the large-scale batteries is the next big step. That that if they can, uh, the the car thing's going to happen and it'll, it'll go out on its own. But he felt like the next big big area for Tesla as an organization was on these large storage batteries, and that to watch that part of the company grow because they're close, really close. Well, one have have you seen one of these? It's a, such a strange technology, but they said it's super efficient. And depending on the terrain, like one of the best methods is these train cars. Have you seen these? Mm-mm. So, no. so basically, in places, uh, and this could be solar, it could be whatever. Whenever there's excess power, there's this like essentially this mini autonomous train station that these electric cars, when there's extra power, it it feeds into them, it powers them, they run up a mountain, and then they stay there. Oh, and then okay. when yeah. they need the power, the trains let they've come back down the mountain with gravity and as they come through their wheels turning just puts that pumps that electricity back into the Mm -hmm. grid and on its way pretty interesting it just like seems and they're talking about where they can put these and when it does fit the terrain that it's like one of the most economical and a very like a very viable like ready to use now kind of technology so 
Hmm. Really curious. I know we've done it with water. Form of a battery. Yeah. yeah. With, well, yeah, we've done it with water where we pump water up the hill mm-hmm. in the daytime and then pump it back through the through the turbines to generate power in the evening and, or vice versa. Same morning, principle. night, doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah, same principle where you're just eventually taking potential energy, turn it into kinetic energy, turn it into potential energy, and then turn it into kinetic energy again. So it's using gravity in your favor. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously it depends where they can do that, but um, it's an interesting. Right. Just, you wouldn't think of that as a battery per se, but um, I guess it kind of fulfills the same the same purpose. Well, that's what a battery is, right? A battery is uh, taking of kinetic energy, so to speak, and turning it into potential energy, storage, <laughs> and, then, and then releasing it. So we do it chemically in batteries, but we can also do it in mechanical things too. It just it gets down to the efficiency and how difficult it is to maintain those things. The beautiful thing about batteries is it's an inanimate object. There's no moving parts. So as long as you can find a place to store it and it's it's safe to handle, the the battery is the the way to go. And the mechanical means have other issues because you have to sort of have somebody on site to maintain them, kind of like having a wind turbine. When anything is moving, you've got to have a technician to keep the thing turning. Uh, yeah, but I mean, there's 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 different ways to approach it, and in every it's not one size fits all. I think that's the key to any of this is that in some places it may make more sense to use gravity as your storage battery versus spending a bunch of money on um, the chemical means of storing energy. It just depends on what you have, right? And I, I, we shouldn't take we shouldn't take anything off the table if it's applicable in one part of the world. Great, use it. That's what it's there for. So lastly, this report came out that says lightning strikes more than a hundred million times a year in the tropics. So yeah. does this make wind turbines not viable in those climates? Or like, what do you think with this well, with this data? Uh, the data was fascinating because they were looking at the number of lightning strikes that happen in the tropics. So Capri- Tropic of Capricorn, Tropic of Cancer, right? So in that band there of how many strikes occur in that region and how many trees get struck and how to how does it affect the forest and so they started to track how many lightning strikes there were because it, it seems like the tallest trees get struck that was sort of the first observation like that hey the tallest trees get struck surprise surprise yeah it's kind of like our wind turbines like the tallest wind turbine gets struck <laughs> surprise surprise in fact the first wind turbine that's in the line of fire of the of the storm as it approaches is the one that gets struck the most Surprise, surprise. Same thing happens in the forest. Uh, but the indication it was is fascinating because they had calculated or extrapolated out like in a year, there's like 800 million lightning strikes to trees in the, around the equator. That's a lot. Yeah. And they figured like 25% of those led to uh, the death of the trees. So that would be about um, 200 million plus tree deaths every year around the equator but they thought that had a lot to do with just the ecology and the nature of, of uh, you know re-energizing the forest those kind of things but the implication for wind turbines is just I think just as directly applicable if there's 800 million strikes to large tall objects i.e. trees then putting wind turbines around those areas is going to lead to a lot of strike, a lot of strikes to wind turbines. And we get back to the force majeure thing. 
is lightning strike a force majeure is an act of nature? Well, I guess in a sense that it is, but we should be able to design against it. And it's funny that that the the um, the naturalists, the the scientists that are looking at the the, the way that the essentially the rainforests and the tropics regenerate life and take take a look at uh, the, the the way trees get struck and what influence that has on on the nature of things are that's the first one I've really seen where they've started defining how many strikes happen in that region and what 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 the effect is but 20 you know golly that's a lot of lightning strikes it's <laughs> a lot it's a lot it's a lot of lightning strikes I mean, when I first saw the number I'm like wow that's a lot more than I thought it was uh, so in today's world, can we not design to handle that? It, the, the, the one thing they did mention was they thought that the trees over time had evolved to be able to withstand most lightning strikes. Like 75% of them live, which doesn't seem possible because everything, every tree I've ever seen struck locally to me dies. That it just doesn't. But maybe there's something about the tropics where it's adapted over time. The trees have adapted over time that it doesn't kill the tree. Wow, now that that's something cool because I have not seen that before. But it does sort of make sense. So there's a lot more research to do there. Uh, but does that if, fit with natural selection? Because wouldn't that tree have already propagated its genes by the time it got that big? You know what I mean? Like, maybe, like yeah. For but, it to evolve, it would have to be killing trees before they got to pass on their genes. But if you're the oldest right. tree in the forest and the tallest tree of the forest, and then you get struck, you've already fathered or mothered tons and tons of other tree your genes are already spread even then you get you know killed by lightning i don't right that's, that's i don't true. know does that fit or not fit natural selection it feels like it doesn't quite uh, fit well i mean if you're the tallest tree and lightning doesn't bother you boy you're 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 the you're the the uh, most powerful tree in the forest <laughs> that's true <laughs> right? right i mean if you could so by the choice of natural uh, sort of a natural selection thing if you're a big tall tree and you can't take a lightning strike well that's pretty much it. So I, I, I kind of wonder if they ever get to the fact of what's making these trees live from these lightning strikes. What yeah. about those trees is slightly different than the other ones where they don't live? That would be fascinating. That would be fascinating to, to learn. Yeah. You wonder if it's like maybe like a more higher moisture content or something where it's like less of it burns be. or, you know. Could be the bark. Could yeah. be anything. I mean, if the energy is kept on the outside, the problem with a lot of trees that we see around here that get struck is that the, the energy kind of kind of goes down down the center of these things and that just burn burn from the inside it burns from the inside or it just you know the 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 bark is is like that protective skin and if you remove a protective skin on a tree it leaves it vulnerable to pests Mm -hmm. and other other things and uh so if you blow the bark off a tree it's it's not pretty much because that's where all the moisture is too it's going to dry up it's going to die um, so it makes you think that there's something magic about the, the either the bark or the way that it moves moisture, or maybe it's um, the conductivity inside of the tree has changed. It wouldn't have to be much. It wouldn't have to be much. So I'm gonna I'm gonna follow this. I'm gonna follow this as it goes <laughs> along because somebody somebody's gonna get a research project, right? The, the article is in the Smithsonian. Um, so if the Smithsonian's highlighted it, I'm sure there's some research grants gonna be headed their way, and I would just want to keep keep track of it. All right, well, we're going to wrap up today's episode of Uptime. If you're new to the show, welcome. If you're a regular here, thank you for your continued support. Please subscribe to the show and leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to check out the WeatherGuard Lightning Tech YouTube channel for video episodes, full interviews, and short clips from each show. For Alan and all of us at WeatherGuard, stay safe, and we'll see you next week. Music
Is downtime causing you financial pain and putting a stop to your power production for months on end? It's no secret, lightning strike damage is a major cause of wind turbine downtime. This damage is preventable with our easy-to-install strike tape lightning protection system for wind turbine blades. Our incredible engineering, build quality, materials, and edge sealants withstand up to five times more abuse in the toughest weather and lightning conditions. And we've got the research to prove it. If you're tired of constant downtime, we can help. Reach out to us at weatherguardwind.com and schedule a free call. We'll get your uptime back in no time.